Welcome to Mrs. Nappy's Notes, Native Son, Book 2, Flight, pages 150 to 173. The shame and fear and hate which Mary and Jan and Mr. Dalton and that huge rich house had made rise so hard and hot in him had now cooled and softened. Had he not done what they thought he never could? His being black and at the bottom of the world was something which he could take with a newborn strength. What his knife and gun had once meant to him, his knowledge of having secretly murdered Mary now, no matter how they laughed at him for his being black and clown-like, he could look at them in the eyes and not feel angry. The feeling of being always enclosed in the stifling embrace of an invisible force had gone from him. As he turned into Drexel Boulevard and headed toward the Daltons, he thought of how restless he had been when he was consumed always with a body hunger. Well, in a way, he had settled that tonight. As time passed, he would make it more definite. His body felt free and easy now that he had lain with Bessie. That she would do what he wanted was what he had sealed in her asking to work with him in this thing. She would be bound to him by ties deeper than marriage. She would be his. Her fear of capture and death would, be by, would bind her to him with all the strength of her life. Even as what had done last night was bound to him to this new path with all the strength of his own life. He turned off the sidewalk and walked up the Dalton driveway, went into the basement and looked through the bright cracks of the furnace door. He saw a red heap of seething coals and heard the upward hum of the draft. He pulled the lever, hearing the rattle of the coal against tin and seeing the quivering embers grow black. He shut off the coal and stooped and opened the bottom of the door of the furnace. Ashes were piling up. He would have to take the shovel and clean them out in the morning and make sure that no unburnt bones were left. He had closed the door and started to rear of the furnace going to his room when he heard Peggy's voice. Bigger? He stopped and before answering he felt a keen sensation of excitement flush all over his skin. She was standing at the head of the stairs in the door leading to the kitchen. Yes'm. He went to the bottom of the steps and looked upward. Mrs. Dalton wants you to pick up the trunk at the station. The trunk? He waited for Peggy to answer his surprise question. Perhaps you should not have asked in that way. They called up and said no one had claimed it, and Mr. Dalton got a wire from Detroit. Mary never got there. Yes'm. She came all the way down the stairs and looked around the basement, as though seeking some missing detail. He stiffened. If she saw something that would make her ask him about Mary, he would take the iron shovel and let her have it straight across the head, and then take the car and make a quick getaway. Mr. Dalton's worried, Peggy said. You know, Mary didn't pack the new clothes she brought, bought with her to take on the trip. And poor Mrs. Dalton's been pacing the floor and phoning Mary's friends all day. Don't nobody know where she is, Bigger asked. Nobody. Did Mary tell you to take the trunk like it was? Yes'm, he said, knowing that this was the first hard hurdle. It was locked and standing in a corner. I took it down and put it right where you saw it this morning. Oh, Peggy, Mrs. Dalton's voice called. Yes, Peggy answered. 
Bigger looked up and saw Mrs. Dalton at the head of the stairs, standing in white, as usual, with her face tilted trustingly upward. "'Is the boy back yet?' "'He's down here now, Mrs. Dalton. "'Come in the kitchen a moment, will you, Bigger?' she asked. "'Yes, am.' He followed Peggy into the kitchen. Mrs. Dalton had her hands clasped tightly in front of her, and her face was still tilted, higher now, and her white lips were parted. "'Peggy told you about picking up the trunk?' "'Yes, I'm on my way now.' "'What time did you leave here last night?' "'A little before two, ma'am.' "'And she told you to take the trunk down?' "'Yes, am "'And she told you not to put the car up?' "'Yes, am "'And it was just where you left it last night "'when you came in this morning?' "'Yes, am "'Mrs. Dalton turned her head "'as she heard the inner kitchen door open.' Mr. Dalton stood in the doorway. Hello, Bigger. Good day, sir. How are things? Fine, sir. The station called about the trunk a little while ago. You'll have to pick it up. Yes, sir. I'm on my way now, sir. Listen, Bigger. What happened last night? Well, nothing, sir. Miss Dalton told me to take the trunk down so I could take it to the station this morning. And I did. Was Jan with you? "'Yes, sir. All three of us went upstairs when I brought him in the car. "'We went to the room to get the trunk, then I took it down and put it in the basement.' "'Was Jan drunk?' "'Well, I don't know, sir. They was drinking.' "'And what happened?' "'Nothing, sir. I, I took the trunk to the basement and left. "'Miss Dalton told me to leave the car out. She said Mr. Jan would take care of it.' "'What were they talking about?' "'Bigger hung his head. I, I don't know, sir.' He saw Mrs. Dalton lift her right hand, and he knew that she meant for Mr. Dalton to stop questioning him so closely. He felt her shame. "'That's all right, Bigger,' Mrs. Dalton said. She turned to Mr. Dalton. "'Where do you suppose this Jan would be now?' "'Maybe he's at the Labor Defender office. Can you get in touch with him?' "'Well,' said Mr. Dalton, standing near Bigger and looking hard at the floor, "'I could, but I'd rather wait.' I still think Mary's up to some of her foolish pranks. Bigger, you'd better get that trunk. Yes, sir. He got the car and drove through the falling snow toward the loop. In answering their questions, he felt he had succeeded in turning their minds definitely in the direction of Jan. If things went at this pace, he would have to send the ransom note right away. He would see Bessie tomorrow and get things settled. Yes, he would ask for $10,000. He would have Bessie stand in the window of an old building at some well-lighted street corner with a flashlight. In the note, he would tell Mr. Dalton to put the money in a shoebox and drop it in the snow at the curb. He would tell him to keep his car moving and his lights blinking and not to drop the money until he saw the flashlight blink three times in the window. Yes, that's how it would be. Bessie would see the lights of the Mr. Dalton's car blinking, and after the car was gone, she would pick up the box of money. It would be easy. He pulled the car into the station, presented the ticket, got the trunk, hoisted it onto the running board, and headed again for the Dalton home. When he reached the driveway, the snow was falling so thickly that he could not see ten feet in front of him. He put the car into the garage, set the trunk into the snow, locked the garage door, lifted the trunk to his back, and carried it to the entrance of the basement. Yes, the trunk was light. It was half empty. No doubt they would question him again about that. Next time, 
He would have to go into details, and he would try to fasten hard in his mind the words he spoke so that he could repeat them a thousand times if necessary. He could, of course, set the trunk in the snow right now and take a streetcar to get the money from Bessie and leave town, but why do that? He could handle this thing. It was going his way. They were not suspecting him, and he would be able to tell the moment their minds turned in his direction. And, too, he was glad that he had let Bessie keep that money. Suppose he were searched here on the job. For them to find money on him alone was enough to fasten suspicion on him definitely. He unlocked the door and took the trunk inside. His back was bent beneath its weight and walked slowly with his eyes on the wavering red shadows of the floor. He heard the fire singing in the furnace. He took the trunk to the corner in which he had placed it the night before. He put it down and stood looking at it. He had an impulse to open it and look inside. He stooped to fumble with the metal clasp, then started violently, jerking upright. Bigger? Without answering, and before he realized what he was doing, he whirled, his eyes wide with fear and his hand half-raised as though to ward off a blow. The moment of whirling brought him face to face with what seemed to his excited senses an army of white men. His breath stopped, and he blinked in his eyes in the red darkness, thinking that he should be acting more calmly. Then he saw Mr. Dalton and another white man standing at the far end of the basement. In the red shadows, their faces were white disks of danger, floating still in the air. Oh, he said softly. The white man at Mr. Dalton's side was squinting at him. He felt that tight, hot, choking fear returning the white man clicked on the light he had a cold and personal manner that told bigger to be on his guard in the very look of the man's eyes bigger saw his own personality reflected in narrow restricted terms what's the matter boy the man asked bigger said nothing he swallowed caught hold of himself and came forward slowly the white man's eyes were steadily upon him. Panic seized Bigger as he saw the white man lower his head, narrow his eyes still more, and sweep back his coat and ram his hands into his pants pocket, revealing, as he did so, a shining badge on his chest. Words rang in Bigger's mind. This is a cop! He could not take his eyes off the shining bit of metal. Abruptly, the man changed his attitude and expression. He took his hands from his pockets and smiled a smile that Bigger did not believe. I'm not the law boy, so don't be scared. Bigger clamped his teeth. He had to control himself. He should not have let that man see him staring at his badge. Yes, sir, he said. Bigger, this is Mr. Britton, Mr. Dalton said. He's a private investigator attached to the staff of my office. Yes, sir, Bigger said, Bigger said again his tension slackening. He wants to ask you some questions, so just be calm and try to tell him whatever he wants to know. Yes, sir. First of all, I want to have a look at that trunk, Britton said. Bigger stood aside as they passed him. He glanced quickly at the furnace. It was still very hot, droning. Then he, too, went to the trunk standing discreetly to one side, away from the two men, looking with surface eyes at what they were doing. 
He shoved his hands deep into his pockets. He stood in a peculiar attitude that allowed him to respond at once to whatever they said or did at the same time, to be outside and away from them. He watched Britton turn the trunk over and bend to it and try to work the lock. I gotta be careful, Bigger thought. One little slip now and I'll spoil the whole thing. Sweat came onto his neck and face. Britton could not unlock the trunk and he looked upward at Bigger. It's locked. You got a key, boy? Nah, sir. Bigger wondered if this were a trap. He decided to play it safe and speak only when he was spoken to. You mind if I break it? Go right ahead, Mr. Dalton said. Say, Bigger, get Mr. Britton the hatchet. The hatchet? Yes, sir, he answered mechanically. He thought rapidly, his entire body stiff. Should he tell him the hatchet was somewhere in the house and offer to go after it and take the opportunity and run away? How much did they really suspect him? Was this whole thing a ruse to confuse and trap him? He glanced sharply and intently at their faces. They seemed to be waiting only for the hatchet. Yes, he would take the chance and stay. He would lie his way out of this. He turned and went to the spot where the hatchet had been last night, the spot from which he had taken it to cut off Mary's head. He stopped and pretended to search. Then he straightened. It ain't here now. I, I saw it about here yesterday, he mumbled. Well, never mind, Britton said. I think I can manage. Bigger eased back toward them, waiting, watching. Britton lifted his foot and gave the lock a short, stout kick with the heel of his shoe and it sprang open. He lifted out the tray and looked inside. It was half empty and the clothes were disarrayed and tumbled. You see, Mr. Dalton said, she didn't take all of her things. Yes, in fact, she didn't need a trunk at all from the looks of this, Britton said. Bigger, was the trunk locked when she told you to take it down? Mr. Dalton asked. Yes, sir, Bigger said, wondering if that answer was the safest. Was she too drunk to know what she was doing, Bigger? Well, they went in the room, he said. I went in after them. Then she told me to take the trunk down. That's all that happened. She could have put these things into a small suitcase, Britton said. The fire sang in Bigger's ears, and he saw the red shadows dance on the walls. Let them try to find out who did it. His teeth were clamped hard until they ached. Sit down, Bigger, Britton said. Bigger looked at Britton, feigning surprise. Sit on the trunk, Britton said. Me? Yeah, sit down, he sat. Now take your time and think hard. I want to ask you some questions. Yes, sir. What time did you take Miss Dalton from here last night? About 8.30, sir. Bigger knew that this was it. This man was here to find out everything. This was an examination. He would have to point his answers away from himself quite definitely. He would have to tell his story. He would have to let each of the facts of his story fall slowly as though he did not realize the significance of them. He would only answer what he was asked. You drove her to school. He hung his head and did not answer. Come on, boy. Well, mister, you see, I'm just working here. What do you mean? Mr. Dalton came close and looked hard into his face. Answer his questions, Bigger. Yes, sir. You drove her to school? Britton asked again. Still, he did not answer. I asked you a question, boy. Nah, sir, I didn't drive her to school. Where did you take her? Well, sir, she told me after I got as far as the park to run round and take her to the loop. She didn't go to school, Mr. Dalton asked. 
his lips hanging open in surprise. Nasa, why didn't you tell me this before, Bigger? She told me not to. There was silence. The furnace droned. Huge red shadows across the walls. Where did you take her then? Britton asked. To the loop, sir. Whereabouts in the loop? To Lake Street, sir. Do you remember the number? Sixteen, I think, sir. Sixteen Lake Street. Yes, sir. That's the Labor Defender Office, Mr. Dalton said, turning to Britton. This Jan's a red. How long was she in there? Britton asked. About half an hour, I reckon, sir. Then what happened? Well, I waited in the car. She stayed there till you brought her home? Nah, sir. She came out. They came out. This man Jan was with her then. Yes, sir, he was with her. Seems to me she went in there to get him. She didn't say anything. She just went in and stayed a while and then came out with him. Then you drove them. He drove, Bigger said. Weren't you driving? Yes, sir, but he wanted to drive and she told me to let him. There was another silence. They wanted him to draw the picture and he would draw it like they wanted. He was trembling with excitement. In the past, they had not always drawn the picture. Had they not always drawn the picture for him? He could tell them anything he wanted, and what could they do about it? It was his word against Jan's, and Jan was a red. You waited somewhere for him, Britton asked. The tone of curt hostility had suddenly left his voice. Nasa, I was in the car, and where did they go? He wanted to tell of how they had made him sit between them, but he thought that he would tell that later on, when he was telling how Jan and Mary made him feel. Well, Mr. Jan asked me where it was a good place to eat. The only one I knew about was where white, fo where white folks, he said, white folks very slowly so that they would know he was conscious of what he meant. Ate on the south side was Ernie's kitchen shack. You took him there? Mr. Jan drove the car, sir. How long did they stay there? Well, we must have stayed. Weren't you waiting in the car? Nah, sir. You see, mister, I did what they told me to. I was only working for him. Oh, Britton said, I suppose he made you eat with him. I didn't want to, mister. I swear I didn't. He kept worrying me until I went in. Britton walked away from the trunk, running the fingers of his left hand nervously through his hair. Again, he turned to Bigger. They got drunk, huh? Yes, sir, they was drinking. What did this Jan say to you? He talked about the communists. How much did they drink? It seemed like a lot to me, sir. Then you brought him home? I drove him through the park, sir. Then you brought him home? Yes, sir, that was nearly two. How drunk was Miss Dalton? Well, she couldn't hardly stand up, sir. When we got home, we had to lift her up the steps, Bigger said with lowered eyes. That's all right, boy, you can talk about it, Britton said. Just how drunk was she? She passed out, Bigger said. Britton looked at Dalton. She could not have left this house by herself, Britton said. If Mrs. Dalton's right, then she could not have left. Britton stared at Bigger, and Bigger felt that some deeper question was on Britton's mind. What else happened? He would shoot now. He would let them have some of it. Well, I told you Miss Dalton told me to take the trunk. I said that because she told me not to tell about me taking her to the loop. It was Mr. Jan who told me to take the trunk down and not put the car away. He told you to not put the car away and take the trunk? Yes, sir, that's right. Why didn't you tell us this before, Bigger? asked Mr. Dalton. She told me not to, sir. How was this Jan acting? Britton asked. 
He was drunk, said Bigger, feeling that now is the time to drag Jan in definitely. Mr. Jan was the one who told me to take the trunk down and leave the car in the snow. I told you Miss Dalton told me that, but he told me. I would have been giving the whole thing away if I had told about Mr. Jan. Britton walked toward the furnace and back again. The furnace droned on as before. Bigger hoped that no one would try to look into it now. His throat grew dry. Then he stared nervously as Britton whirled and pointed his finger into his face. What did he say about the party? Sir? Ah, oh, come on, boy, don't stall. Tell me what he said about the party. The party? He asked me to sit at his table. I mean the party! It wasn't a party, mister. He made me sit at his table and he bought chicken and told me to eat. I didn't want to, but he made me. It was my job. Britton came close to Bigger and narrowed his gray eyes. What unit are you in, sir? Come on, comrade, tell me what unit you're in. Bigger gazed at him, speechless, alarmed. Who's your organizer? I don't know what you mean, Bigger said, his voice quivering. Don't you read the daily? Daily what? Didn't know Jan before he came to work here? Nasa, Nasa, Did they send you to Russia? Bigger stared down and did not answer. He knew now that Britain was trying to find out if he were a communist. It was something he had not counted on, ever. He stood up trembling. He had not thought that this thing could cut two ways. Slowly, he shook his head and backed away. Nasa, you got me wrong. I ain't never fooled around with them folks. Miss Dalton and Mr. Jan were the first ones I ever met, so help me God. Britain followed, and Bigger. Britain followed Bigger until Bigger's head struck the wall. Bigger looked squarely into his eyes. Britain, with a movement so fast that Bigger did not see it, grabbed him in the collar and rammed his head hard against the wall. He saw a flash of red. You are a communist, you goddamn black son of a bitch, and you're gonna tell me about this Miss Dalton and Jan bastard. Nasa, I ain't no communist, Nasa. Well, what is this? Britain jerked from his pocket a small packet of pamphlets that Bigger had put in his dresser drawer and held them under his eyes. You know you're lying. Come on, talk. Nasa, you got me wrong. Mr. Jan gave me them things. He and Miss Dalton told me to read them. Didn't you know Miss Dalton before? Nasa. Wait, Britain. Mr. Dalton laid his hands on Britain's arms. Wait, there's something to what he says. She tried to talk to him about unions when she first saw him yesterday. If that Jan gave him those pamphlets, then he knows nothing about it. You sure? I'm positive. I thought at first when you brought me those pamphlets that he must have known something, but I don't think he does, and there's no use in blaming him for something he didn't do. Britton loosened his fingers from Bigger's collar and shrugged his shoulders. Bigger relaxed, still standing his head resting against the wall, aching. He had not thought that anyone would dare think that he, a black man, would be Jan's partner. Britain was his enemy. He knew that the hard light in Britain's eyes held him guilty because he was black. He hated Britain so hard and hot while standing there with sleepy eyes and parted lips that he would gladly have grabbed the iron shovel from the corner and split his skull in two. For a split second, a roaring noise in his ears blotted out sound. He struggled to control himself, and then he heard Britton talking. Gotta get a hold of that Jan. That seems to be the next thing, said Mr. Dalton, sighing. Bigger felt that if he had said something directly to Mr. Dalton, he could swing things round again in his favor, but he did not know just how to put it. You suppose she ran off, he heard Britton ask. I don't know, Mr. Dalton said. Britton turned to Bigger and looked at him. Bigger kept his eyes down. 
boy, I just want to know, are you telling the truth? Yes, sir, I'm telling the truth. I just started work here last night. I ain't done nothing. I just did what they told me to do. You sure he's all right? Britton asked Dalton. He's all right. If you don't want me to work for you, Mr. Dalton, Bigger said, I'll go home. I didn't want to come here, he continued, feeling that his words would awaken in Mr. Dalton a sense of why he was here. But they sent me anyhow. That's true, Mr. Dalton told Britton. He's referred to me from the relief. He's been in reform school, and I'm giving him a chance. Mr. Dalton turned to Bigger. Just forget it, Bigger. We had to make sure. Stay on and do your work. I'm sorry this had to happen. Don't let it break you down. Yes, sir. Okay, said Britton. If you say he's okay, then it's okay with me. Go on to your room, Bigger, said Mr. Dalton. Yes, sir. Head down. He walked to the rear of the furnace and upstairs to his room. He turned the latch on the door and hurried closer to, to the closet to listen. The voices came clearly. Britton and Mr. Dalton had come into the kitchen. My, but it was hot down there, said Mr. Dalton. Yeah. I'm a little sorry you bothered him. He's here to try to get a new slant on things. Well, you see him one way, and I see him to another. To me, a black man's a black man. But he's sort of a problem boy. He's not really bad. Gotta be rough with him, Dalton. See how I got that dope out of him? He wouldn't have told you that. But I don't want to make a mistake here. It wasn't his fault. He was doing what that crazy daughter of mine told him. I don't want to do anything I'll regret. After all, these black boys never get a chance. They don't need a chance if you ask me. They get enough trouble without it. Well, as long as they do their work, let's let them be. Just as you say. You want me to stay on the job? Sure, we must see this Jan. I can't understand Mary's going away and not saying anything. I can have him picked up. No, no, not that way. Those reds will get a hold of it and they'll raise a stink in the papers. Well, what do you want me to do? I'll try to get him to come here. I'll phone his office, and if he's not there, I'll phone him at home. Bigger heard their footsteps dying away. A door slammed, then all was quiet. He came out of the closet and looked in the dresser drawer for where he'd put the pamphlets. Yes, Britton had searched his room. His clothes were mussed and tumbled. He would know how to handle Britton next time. Britton was familiar to him. He had met a thousand Brittons in his life. He stood in the center of the room thinking when Britton questioned Jan, he would have... When Britton questioned Jan, would Jan deny having been with Mary at all in order to protect her? If he did, that would be in his favor. If Britton wanted to check in on his story about Mary's not going to school last night, he could. If Jan had said they had not been drinking, it could be proved that they had been drinking by folks in the cafe. If Jan lied about one thing, it would be readily believed that he would lie about others. If Jan said that he had not come to the house, who would believe him after it was seen that he had lied about not drinking and going to Mary's school? If Jan tried to protect Mary, as he thought he would, he would only succeed in making a case against himself. Bigger went to the window and looked out at the white curtain and falling snow. He thought of the kidnap note. Should he try to get money from them now? Hell yes. He would show that Briton bastard he would work fast, but he would wait until after Jan had told his story. He should see Bessie tonight, and he ought to pick out the pencil and paper he would use. And he must not forget to use gloves when he wrote the note so that no fingerprints would be on the paper. He'd give that Briton something to worry about all right. Just wait. 
Because he could go now, run off if he wanted to, and leave it all behind, he felt a certain sense of power, a power born of the latent capacity to live. He was conscious of this quiet, warm, clean, rich house, this room with this bed so soft, the wealthy white people moving in luxury to all sides of him, whites living in a smugness, a security, a certainty that he had never known. The knowledge that he had killed a white girl they loved and regarded as their symbol of beauty made him feel the equal of them, like a man who had been somehow cheated, but now had evened the score. The more the sense of Britain seeped into him, the more did he feel the need to face him once again and let him try to get something from him. Next time, he would do better. He had let Britain trap him on that communist business. He should have been on the lookout for that. But the lucky thing was that he knew Britain had done all his tricks at once. He had shot his bolt, played all his cards. Now that the thing was out in the open, he would know how to act. And furthermore, Britain might want him as a witness against Jan. He smiled a while and lay in the darkness. If that happened, he would be safe in sending the ransom note. He could send it just when they thought they had pinned the disappearance of Mary upon Jan. He would throw everything into confusion and would make them want to reply and give the money at once to save the girl. The warm room lulled his blood and deepening sense of fatigue drugged him with sleep. He stretched out more fully onto the bed, turned onto his back, swallowed, and closed his eyes. Out of the surrounding silence and darkness came the quiet ringing of a distant church bell, thin, faint, but clear. It tolled soft, then loud, then still louder, so loud that he wondered where it was. It sounded suddenly directly above his head, and when he looked, it was not there, but went on tolling, and with each passing moment, he felt an urgent need to run and hide, as though the bell were, bell were sounding a warning, as, and he stood on the street corner in a red glare of light, that like, like that which came from the furnace that he had been, he had a... <laughs> And he had a big package in his arms, so wet and slippery and heavy that he could scarcely hold on to it and wanted to know what it was in the package. And he stooped near an alley corner and unwrapped it and the paper fell away and he saw it was his own head. His own head lying with black face, half-closed eyes, lips parted and teeth white showing wet hair with blood and the red glare brighter and brighter like light shining down from a red moon and red stars on a hot summer night and he was sweating and breathless from running and the bell clanged so loud that he could hear the iron tongue clapping against the metal sides each time it swung to and fro and he was running running over a street paved with black coal and his shoes kicked tiny lumps of rattling against tin cans and he knew that very soon he had to find some place to hide but there was no place in front of him white people were coming to ask about the head from which the newspapers had fallen and which was now slippery with blood in his naked hands and he gave up and stood in the middle of the street in the red darkness and cursed the booming bell and the white people and felt that he did not give a damn about what happened to him when the people closed in he hurled the bloody head squarely into their face Dung, dung, dung. He opened his eyes and looked about him in the darkened room, hearing a bell. He sat up, 
the bell sounded again. How long it had been ringing. He got to his feet, swaying from stiffness, trying to shake off sleep in that awful dream. Guess him, he mumbled. The bell rang again, insistently. He fumbled in the dark for a light chain and pulled it. Excitement quickened within him. Had something happened? Was this the police? Bigger, called a muffled voice. Yes, sir. He braced himself for whatever was coming and stepped to the door. As he opened it, he felt it being pushed in by someone who seemed determined to get in on a, in a hurry. Bigger backed away, blinking his eyes. We want to talk to you, said Britton. Yes, sir. He did not want to hear what Britton said after that, for he saw directly behind Britton a face that made him hold his breath. It was not fear he felt, but attention. A supreme gathering of all the forces of his body for a showdown. Go on in, Mr. Erlone, Mr. Dalton said. Bigger saw Jan's eyes looking at him steadily. Jan stepped into the room and Mr. Dalton followed. Bigger stood with his lips slightly parted, his hands hanging loosely by his sides, his eyes watchful but veiled. Sit down, Erlone, Britton said. This is all right, Jan said. I'll stand. Bigger saw Britton pull from his coat pocket the pamphlets and hold them under Jan's eyes. Jan's lips twisted into a faint smile. Well, Jan said. You're one of those tough reds, huh? Britton asked. Come on, let's get this over with, Jan said. What do you want? Take it easy, Britton said. You got plenty of time. I know you're kind. You like to rush and have things your way. Bigger saw Mr. Dalton standing to one side, looking anxiously from one to the other. Several times, Mr. Dalton made as if to say something, then checked himself as though uncertain. Bigger, Britton asked, is this man, Miss Dalton, is this the man Miss Dalton brought here last night? Jan's lips parted. He stared at Britton, then at Bigger. Yes, sir, Bigger whispered, struggling to control his feelings, hating Jan violently because he knew he was hurting him, wanting to strike Jan with something because Jan's wide, incredulous stare made him feel hot guilt to the very core of him. You didn't bring me here, Bigger, Jan said. Why did you tell him that? Bigger did not answer. He decided to talk only to Britton and Mr. Dalton. There was silence. Jan was staring at Bigger. Britton and Mr. Dalton were watching Jan. Jan made a move toward Bigger, but Britton's arm checked him. Say, what is this? Jan demanded. What are you making this boy lie for? I suppose you're going to tell us you weren't drunk last night, huh? Asked Britton. What business is that is yours? Jan shot at him. Where's Miss Dalton? Britton asked. Jan looked around the room, puzzled. She's in Detroit, he said. You know your story by heart, don't you? said Britton. Say, Bigger, what are they doing to you? Don't be afraid. Speak up, said Jan. Bigger did not answer. He looked stonily at the floor. Where did Mr. Dalton tell you where did Miss Dalton tell you she was going? Britton asked. She told me she was going to Detroit. Did you see her last night? Jan hesitated. No. You didn't give these pamphlets to this boy last night. Jan shrugged his shoulders and smiled and said, All right, I saw her. So what? You know why I didn't say so in the first place? No, we don't know, Britton said. Well, Mr. Dalton here doesn't like reds, as you call them, and I didn't want to get Miss Dalton in trouble. Then you did meet her last night. Yes. Where is she? If she's not in Detroit, then I don't know where she is. You gave the pamphlets to this boy? Yes, I did. You and Miss Dalton were drunk last night. Oh, come on, we weren't drunk. We had a little to drink. 
You brought her home about two? Bigger stiffened and waited. Yeah. You told the boy to take the trunk down to the basement. Jan opened his mouth, but no words came. He looked at Bigger, then back to Britain. Say, what is this? Where's my daughter, Mr. Erlone? Mr. Dalton asked. I tell you, I don't know. Listen, let's be frank, Mr. Erlone, Mr. Dal- said Mr. Dalton. We know my daughter was drunk last night when you brought her home. She was too drunk to leave here by herself. Do you know where she is? I, I didn't come here last night, Jan stammered. Bigger sensed that Jan had said that he had come home with Mary last night in order to make Mr. Dalton believe he would not have left his daughter alone in a car with the strange chauffeur. And Bigger felt that, after Jan admitted they had been drinking, he was bound to say that he had brought the girl home. Unwittingly, Jan's desire to protect Mary had helped him. Jan's denial of having come to the home would not be believed now. It would make Mr. Dalton and Britton feel that he was trying to cover something up of even much greater seriousness. "'You didn't come home with her?' Mr. Dalton asked. "'No.' You didn't tell the boy to take the trunk down. Hell no! Who says I did? I left the car and took the trolley home. Jan turned and faced Bigger. Bigger, what are you telling these people? Bigger did not answer. He's just told us what you did last night, Britton said. Where's Mary? Where's Miss Dalton? Jan asked. We're waiting for you to tell us, said Britton. Didn't, didn't she go to Detroit? Jan stammered. No, said Mr. Dalton. I called her this morning and Peggy told me she had. "'You called her just to see if the family had missed her, didn't you, Mr. Britton? "'Didn't you?' asked Britton. "'Jan walked over to Bigger. "'Leave him alone,' Britton said. "'Bigger,' said Jan. "'Why did you tell these men I came here?' "'You say you didn't come here at all last night,' Mr. Britton asked again. "'Absolutely not. Bigger, tell him. Tell him where I left the car.' "'When I left the car?' "'Bigger said nothing. "'Come on, Erlone. "'I don't know what you're up to, but you've been lying ever since you've been in this room. "'You said you didn't come here last night, then you say you did. "'You said you weren't drunk, and then you say you were. "'You said you didn't see Miss Dalton last night, and then you say you did. "'Come on. "'Tell us where Miss Dalton is. "'Her father and mother want to know.' "'Bigger saw Jan's bewildered eyes. "'Listen, I've told you all I know,' said Jan, putting his hat back on. "'Unless you tell me what this joke's about,' I'm getting on back home. Wait a minute, said Mr. Dalton. Mr. Dalton came forward a step and confronted Jan. You and I don't agree. Let's forget that. I want to know where my daughter is. Is this a game? asked Jan. No, no, said Mr. Dalton. I want to know. I'm worried. I tell you, I don't know. Listen, Mr. Erlone, Mary's the only girl we've got. I don't want her to do anything rash. Tell her to come back or, or you bring her back. "'Mr. Dalton, I'm telling you the truth.' "'Listen,' Mr. Dalton said. "'I'll make it right with you.' "'Jan's face reddened. "'What do you mean?' he asked. "'I'll make it worth your while.' "'You son—' "'He walked to the door. "'Let him go,' said Britton. "'He can't get away. "'I'll phone him. "'I'll phone and have him picked up. "'He knows more than he's telling.' "'Jan paused in the doorway, "'looking at all three of them, then went out. "'Bigger sat on the edge of the bed "'and heard Jan's feet run down the stairs.' A door slammed, then silence. Bigger saw Mr. Dalton gazing at him queerly. He did not like that look. But Britton was jotting something on a pad, his face pale and hard in the yellow glare of the suspended electric light bulb. "'You're telling us the truth about all this, aren't you, Bigger?' Mr. Dalton asked. "'Yes, sir.' "'He's all right,' Britton said. "'Come on, let's get to a phone.' 
I'm having that guy picked up for questioning. It's the only thing to do. And I'll have some men go over Miss Dalton's room. We'll find out what happened. I'll bet my right arm that goddamn red's up to something. Britton went out, and Mr. Dalton followed, leaving Bigger still on the edge of the bed. When he heard the door slam, he got up and grabbed his cap and went softly to the stairs to the basement. He stood a moment, looking through the cracks in the humming fire, blindingly red now, and then he went into the driveway through the falling snow to the street. He had to see Bessie at once. The kidnap note had to be sent right away. There was no time to lose. If Mr. Dalton, Britton, or Peggy missed him and asked him where he had been, he would say that he had gone out to get a pack of cigarettes. But with all the excitement, no one would probably think of him. And they were after Jan now. He was safe. Bigger! He stopped. Whirled. His hand reaching inside his shirt for his gun. He saw Jan standing in the doorway of a store. As Jan came forward, Bigger backed away. Jan stopped. For Christ's sakes, don't be afraid of me. I'm not going to hurt you. In the pale yellow sheen of the street lamp, they faced each other. Huge, wet flakes of snow floated down slowly, forming a delicate screen between them. Bigger had his hand inside of his shirt on his gun. Jan stood staring, his mouth open. What's all this about, Bigger? I haven't done anything to you, have I? Where's Mary? Bigger felt guilty. Jan's presence condemned him. Yet he knew no way to atone for his guilt. He felt he, w he had to act as he was acting. I don't want to talk to you, he mumbled. But what have I done to you? Jan asked desperately. Jan had done nothing to him. And it was Jan's innocence that made anger rise in him. His fingers tightened about the gun. I don't want to talk to you, he said again. He felt that if Jan continued to stand there and make him feel this awful sense of guilt, he would have to shoot him in spite of himself. He began to tremble all over. His lips parted and his eyes widened. Go away, Bigger said. Listen, Bigger, if these people are bothering you, just tell me. Don't be scared. I'm used to this sort of thing. Listen, now, let's go somewhere and get a cup of coffee and talk this thing over. Jan came forward again and Bigger drew his gun. Jan stopped. His face whitened. For God's sakes, man, what are you doing? Don't shoot. I, I haven't bothered you. Don't leave me alone, Bigger said, his voice tense and hysterical. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Jan backed away from him. Leave me alone, Bigger's voice rose to a scream. Jan backed farther away and then turned and walked rapidly off, looking back over his shoulder. When he reached the corner, he ran through the snow out of sight. Bigger stood still, the gun in hand. He had utterly forgotten where he was. His eyes were still riveted on the point in space where he had last seen Jan's retreating form. The tension in him slackened, and he lowered the gun until it hung at his side, loosely in his fingers. He was coming back into possession of himself. For the past three minutes, it seemed he had been under a strange spell, possessed by a force which he hated, but which he had to obey. He was startled when he heard footsteps coming toward him in the snow. He looked and saw a white woman. The woman saw him and paused. She turned abruptly and ran across the street. Bigger shoved the gun in his pocket and ran to the corner. He looked back. The woman was vanishing through the snow in the opposite direction. In him, as he walked, was a cold, driving will. He would go through with this. He would work fast. He had encountered Jan in Jan a much stronger determination than he would thought would be there. 
If he sent the kidnapped note, it would have to be done before Jan could prove that he was completely innocent. At that moment, he'd not care if he was caught. If only he could cower Jan and Britain into awe, into fear of him and his black skin and his humble manners. He reached the corner and went into a drugstore. A white clerk came to him. Give me an envelope, some paper, and a pencil, he said. He paid the money, put the package into his pocket, and went out to the corner to wait for a car. One came. He got on and rode eastward, wondering what kind of note he should write. He rang the bell for the car to stop, got off, walked through the quiet black streets. Now and then, he passed an empty building, white and silent in the night. He would make Bessie hide in one of those buildings and watch for Mr. Dalton's car. But the ones he passed were too old. If he went into them, they might collapse. He walked on. He had to find a building where Bessie could stand in a window and see the package of money when it was thrown from the car. He reached Langley Avenue and walked westward to Wabash Avenue. There were many empty buildings with black windows, like blind eyes, buildings like skeletons standing with snow on their bones in the winter winds. But none of them were on corners. Finally, at Michigan Avenue and East 36th Place, he saw the one he wanted. It was tall, white, silent, standing on a well-lighted corner. By looking from any of the front windows, Bessie would be able to see in all four directions. Ooh, he had to have a flashlight. He went into the drugstore and bought one for a dollar. He felt in the inner pocket of his coat for his gloves. Now he was ready. He crossed the street and stood waiting for a car. His feet were cold, and he stamped them in the snow, surrounded by people waiting for a car. He did not look at them. They were simply blind people, blind like his mother, his brother, his sister, Peggy, Britton, Jan, Mary, Dalton, and the slightest Mrs. Dalton, and the quiet empty houses with their black gaping windows. He looked round the street and saw a sign on the building. This property is managed by the South Side Real Estate Company. He had heard that Mr. Dalton owned the South Side Real Estate Company, and the South Side Real Estate Company owned the house in which he lived.